everyone. I'm Rania Kalik, and this is Dispatches coming to you from Havana, Cuba. And I'm joined by Johanna Tablada. She is the General Deputy Director of U.S. Affairs at the Cuban Foreign Ministry. Johanna, welcome. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to meet you. Have you seen changes in U.S.-Cuba policy since Biden took office? Not really. Uh, yesterday, probably, Mark, uh, a year after Biden arrived to the White House after promising to alleviate the, some of the hardest unilateral coercive measure taken by President Trump that uh, harmed the Cuban population. He mentioned, to, to remember some of them briefly, uh, the measures that goes against travel, family travel, and make people suffer. He will talk about restoring remittances so that people that live in U.S. will do what any immigrant in U.S. can do, which is help people that they left behind home. He promised that too. He promised to grant the 20,000 uh, visas that Cuba and U.S. Uh, um, agree in our migratory agreements. Uh, he promised to take a look at the fraudulent designation of Cuba as a state sponsor of terrorism, knowing that Cuba is not a terrorist country. It, it should be enough that, that you're not a sponsor of terrorism to be, not to be on the list, and so on. But unfortunately, after an entire year, uh, none of this thing happened, but the opposite. In fact, if I have to look at war that will define the politics of uh, President Biden and his political team in office this year, that war will be insensitivity which probably would be a diplomatic word to refer to cruelty. Uh, we are not talking of any normal year. We are talking the second year of a pandemic. We are talking of a, of a year when Cuba reached the peak in the number of people that became ill, despite our wonderful healthcare public system, that, that at the end of the day was able to control the pandemic and assist all the time the population, but as any country in the world, we suffer. And the truth is that U.S. Uh, behave as a predator. Uh, contrary to the rest of the world, when we had uh, the worst moment, that we Cubans, the Cuban population was suffering the combined impact or the combined effect of 60 years of blockade. In February 3rd would be 60th anniversary which is the most comprehensive system of sanctions, unilateral coercive sanction on earth, uh, the longest apply or enforced in history the, to the level of absurdity, harming Cubans and going after other countries. Uh, so the, the truth is that we, say we, we could portray at least as 10 measures the U.S. took, recognizing in the pandemic going back to the idea of the predator, instead of extending the hands to the Cuban neighbors in a moment when we were out of oxygen uh, for a temporary period because our most important factory of oxygen uh, get broken and, and spare parts were coming from Germany and other European uh, countries, out of oxygen with difficulty for import medical supplies, with difficulty with fuel, uh, they recognize an opportunity, an opportunity to achieve the secular domination objective uh, that 
for 60 years has failed. And this is something that is very difficult for us to ignore or to forget. Yeah, and in, I mean, it's, you're talking about the US using COVID essentially as an opportunity to exploit and push their foreign policy objectives against Cuba. And we know that that happened with the pandemic, it's happening with the blockade. But as somebody who's between the US and working on, in Cuba and working on US affairs, what are the other ways the U.S. tries to undermine Cuba and divide society aside from the blockade? Well, aside from the blockade, they, they organize well because the whole philosophy is to put a lot of maximum pressure, as Trump did. In fact, Biden's policy is Trump policy. There is not a, any change on, uh, he just continued to enforce uh, Trump policy. So it is to apply maximum pressure policy to make the Cuban economy collapse, and then to blame Cuba for the impacts that that, uh, that, that, uh, that, that uh, a, a coercive measure has. But if we have to recognize other, other actions, we have to talk about the huge uh, four-generation uh, warfare or digital warfare in order to have to put together a disinformation campaign and also a meddling campaign. U.S. is very sensible that a foreign power will even dare to think about intervening in U.S. domestic issue, but has no boundaries when it is when, when the task would be to intervene in Cuban domestic affairs or to put taxpayers' money, millions of taxpayers' dollars, in order to deploy a political operation to overthrow the Cuban government. And that's what they did with a lot of creativity, and that you shouldn't blame Trump. U.S. raised the budgets for digital platform to simulate that they were the Cuban people asking for freedom. I mean, the, the Walt SLS Disney, Cuba, the whole yeah. Walt Disney uh, 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 script that you always see, the bad government, the people looking for freedom, and they just take out of the equation U.S. measures against fuel arriving to Cuba, U.S. measures cutting revenue from every single source that will give revenues to the Cuban economy, that is the public economy, we are not talking of any of, of transnational that would take 90% and will give to the people 1%. Here in Cuba is the opposite. We, the Cuban people, are the owners of our national resources. That's why we made a revolution. So they, they put together an, an economic aggression. First, the, 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 the first front of the economic aggression, the, fin, the horrible financial aggression. By putting Cuba in the terrorist list, immediately this is an order to the financial market that unfortunately, because we live in a very unjust international order, is controlled by Washington. So sometimes sovereign state has less power to dictate to their national banks what to do than Wall Street. That's the way it is. So when they put you as a terrorist state, the SWIFT mechanism immediately get a red tape when you have uh, a Cuban via Cuba pharma that you probably have seen now ordering in Europe some of the raw material to produce Cuban vaccines, immediately the bank that was granting that uh, completely 
human legitimate transaction would say not anymore with Cuba. That, that add a lot of cost to the thing. And at the same time, if you're saying that Cuba is the most repressive country in Latin America, which it happened fortunately not to be true, or that we live under a dictatorship when the authoritarian regime uh, do not talk to their people. And, and in fact, or that socialism is just the remedy for failure and Biden called Cuba in the summer a failed state, right in the moment that just the Cuban vaccines were already approved by our regulatory institution, and we ended up uh, being one of the number one countries on earth uh, with a full, uh, uh, full doses uh, program of vaccine for more than 90% of our uh, population. So this information, economic aggression, international pressure, extortion to foreign business investing in Cuba, all that together, it is incredible that we survived that, but we did, once again, as we did in Bay of Peaks, as we did with the Hans Burton, as we did, and it is precisely the opposite narrative, is the opposite of what the narrative of US is saying. US is saying that our socialism is re recipe for failure, and I will tell you exactly the opposite. If it wasn't because we are a socialist country, Cuba could not survive. As it's very difficult to think that any country subjugated under a system of, of coercive unilateral measure, the way that they've been punishing Cuba, twisted and twisted and reinforcing during Trump with all the courtesy of Biden to prolong the lab experiment as if we were a playground, but it happened that we are not a playground. This is a country of almost 12 million women and men and children and elderly population, fortunately with a long living expectancy that are fighting for, uh, to protect our achievement that we reach together. Our wonderful healthcare system happens to be uh, able to save us uh, uh, this time. And our scientific community that is not private, is public and also produce five uh, vaccines candidate that, that is saving Cubans and is also recognizing six countries international already and it's been helping other countries as well. So socialism saved Cuba. Being here and seeing the medical system here, it's very obvious that if people in the US were aware that there's this free healthcare system, that's something that they want too. So it makes sense that the US spends so much time demonizing Cuba to its own population so that people don't think about those socialist policies. But I guess that brings me to my next question, which is given that you spend time between Cuba and the US for your job, over the years, have you noticed that that propaganda against Cuba and the US is working on a progressive audience? Do you, I don't know, do you see the idea of Cuba as a bad place starting to resonate with progressive audiences in the US in a way that it maybe didn't 20 years ago? Well, unfortunately, I think there is some part of progressive forces in the US that at some point, because the propaganda and the disinformation is so heavy, it's so well financed, it, that it also reach uh, sectors that traditional are liberal or are, le or, or, are, or has some sympathetic feelings to the left, 
and that if you, but, but come on, remember uh, July 11 in Cuba, after they cut fuel, uh, they will go after ships that will bring fuel to Cuba. They will, they will go after banks that will uh, finance transaction to Cuba. At some point, those Trump measures were working. And at some point, also the population in Cuba felt that it was too heavy, the burden of having difficulties in the middle of the peak of the pandemic to get in medicine, to, 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 to have electricity all day. So there were some cuts in the electricity. And at some point, there were people also in the street protesting for that, as you perfectly know. The way that the US media portrayed that event was absolutely surreal. One day journey of protests were portrayed in America and in the rest of the world because of the control of the media that it was weeks of uh, unrest in Cuba. One day with one person, just one person who died after confrontation, he has a weapon with the police, was portrayed as there were people being killed in Cuba. They use all the time fake, uh, fake videos and fake pictures. They use pictures of El Cairo, of uh, Egypt. I saw pictures exactly. of Egypt being of, said of, the of, of other other countries in Latin America, of Colombia, mm -hmm. and they and they put it on the TV as if it was Cuba. So you could be sympathetic to Cuba, but if your network, your TV network, is putting a child that is being beaten in the middle of the street, and they say this is Havana, 8 a.m. So lying so bold in, in a so blatantly way, they probably will fall also trapped into, into those huge lies. And that was a huge disinformation campaign. They also financed uh, uh, social network uh, media. US has at least 20 um, online newspapers that they directly finance or indirectly through the national, through the uh, net national endowment for democracy, that people, when they look at it, they say, Ciber Cuba, they would probably think this is a Cuban, uh, or they would say, ADN, ADN Cuba. Those, ADN Cuba is 100% financed by US government, but people would think those are news from Cuba. The people producing those news happen to live in Miami. <laughs> But who knows? When you are sailing in the network and you see a video, a picture that probably is, is, a, is, is, is from Colombia, for example, in Colombia, who is the first number one allied of US in Latin America, who received, contrary to Cuba, from Cuba they've taken away every year $5,000 million from our economic revenues. That's the cost of the US blockade in 2020. This is huge. This, this, is, this is terrible for any country. Five billion. Exactly. Five billion, Five yeah. billion dollars. That, that if the embargo didn't exist, we will have that income to buy medicines, to build uh, infrastructure for tourism, that at the same time will pay for our healthcare system that is comprehensive, free, and, and universal. So going back to the thing, they, they will put, just in September, they, they reinvest Aside from the 20 millions that they pass every year, US Congress pass every year 20 millions to meddling in Cuba, legally. We are not gonna talk what the CIA spent, we are not gonna talk about other agencies spend it, we are not gonna talk about what they give to third, uh, to grant to others in order to uh, hide the source of the money, but they openly 
meddling operation that, that the Hans Burton order by law, which is like a colonial law in the 21st century, not even Pennsylvania will allow Delaware to have a law like that. <laughs> exactly, they will go right. back to a civil war if it was North Carolina and, and, and Maryland. But for us, they consider that that's entirely properly. So they, that, they put a lot of money uh, into that thing. And, but, but don't tell an American that Cuba or any country will expend money in having people going and attack Congress on uh, January 6th. Yeah. So if, if uh, or, or what happened in the Lafayette Park, none of that thing happened in Cuba, or 2,000 children in cages in the border, or 96 massacres in Colombia, and they keep telling the world that that's democracy playing. So it's the double talk, the double standard, the insensitivity. To, to capitalize on the hardship that the US policy provoked in our population, make people, make it a difference between life and death. When, when our vaccination program, the escalation of the vaccination program had a delay because of the raw material that we couldn't buy, because of the banks say, I cannot support you anymore because you are a terrorist country, a decision that Pompeo took looking at 2024 elections and that Biden easily uh, back up, even knowing that it was a fraud, but he was afraid that Bob Menendez will get mad and probably since the balance in the Senate, it's just one vote, that extortion that the Cuban-American lobby is doing all the time will be more important than the 12 million Cuban and men. So we are not a playground, but they treat Cuba as a, as a playground. And, and going back to your question, it is also they are being so mean to Cuba because they also want to force the Cuban failure. Mm -hmm. If it, it, if it not happened naturally, and it won't, <laughs> because it happened, socialism happened to work for us, then it has to happen artificially. So sometimes they say, uh, Cuba is blaming the embargo for every failure that they have, but they are their own problem. I say, hey, let's do it differently. If the embargo is our excuse, why won't you remove it? Why to add up and add up and add up every year new measures of extortion and, 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 and aggression if it's not working. But at the same time, it has a domestic purpose too. They want to demonize, and they probably one of the most successful experience of socialism on earth that it happens to be Cuba, since we are healthy, we are educated. Cubans finish college without debts, they even can emigrate to the U.S. and start a brand new, new life with their socialist education. <laughs> yes, because it happens that so, we are so close. And Cuba is the only country on earth that Cubans had a green card in one year after arriving to the U.S. So there is also migratory privilege for to, 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 if you happen to be Cubans in order to continue saying that Cubans are fleeing Cuba because here life is unbearable. <laughs> but it happened that you study music. A, for free, you study in an academy of a sport for free, you study at the higher institute of art, and then you became a 24 years old, a bachelor with not a single dime of debt, and then you ask for a visa, you show up in US and you have an advantage even to an American oh. that probably finishes color owing 200,000 to some banks. 
So this is the way it works. But at the same time, they are trying to tell progressive forces in US, you want to make US of Cuba. Look at Cuba how it is. Cubans have difficulty getting access to medicines. Cuba has difficulties getting access to, they don't have the supermarkets that you have. And, and at that equation, they just hide the little detail of the- it's Because of us. Of the, of the most important comprehensive system of unilateral sanctions on earth, which is criminal, which is immoral, and which is impossible to defend if it's not because of the big lies that are associated with the American disinformation continuous campaign on human rights, on human trafficking. Take a look at the, at the, at the way that, they, why did they say that Cuba has, is in the list also, not just terrorism, but human trafficking? Because they are demonizing one of the most noble and prestigious collaboration system of agreements on air, which is the Cuban med international medical uh, collaboration that it has the respect, the acknowledgement, and the recognition of all countries on air, including international medical organizations and United Nations. But in the case of US, it is, it is a way to say, no, that's not, it, it couldn't be true that Cubans will go, that we're gonna send bombs and we will invade countries and Cuba will send doctors. It cannot be true that in, in Bolivia and in Brazil, the only people that would go to the indigenous community would be the Cuban doctors. But by lying on this issue, US is committing a crime because the access to healthcare is a human right. So when you say that Cubans in Bolivia were, um, were, were doing political war instead of saving life, they are condemning millions of people like they did in Brazil to, 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 to go back to a life without having the possibility of seeing a doctor if you're pregnant or if you have high blood pressure or if you need a surgery. So that has an impact immediately. In, uh, but, but that's in general for Latin America. I mean, neoliberal policies in Latin America that has well, been... Actually, that's, I, I, I want to ask you about... No, 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 because you kind no, of no, go no, into that, it. That's the idea. I want to ask you about the issue of Latin America. Um, since you bring it up, is there's been all these victories, these left-wing victories, um, Honduras, Chile, Bolivia, which is incredible. So I'm curious, do you Peru? think that these, yeah, Peru, um, do you see a significance in these victories yes. for the region? And where, where does that leave an organization like the Organization for American States, which obviously has historically been used against Cuba and against any other country in the region that has sought to forge a path with any sort of leftist government? Uh, it, 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 couldn't, it couldn't be said better. In fact, there is a trend. We do recognize a trend where progressive lefted government in America, in Latin America, are going back to power. We see a different trend a few years ago after the counteroffensive that right-wing sectors in US together with the US government launched against precisely uh, revolutionary or progressive government with public uh, progressive politics in Latin America. And, and I think that the reason is that Latin America, someone say a uh, few years ago, changed forever. They don't want to be anymore, not the backyard, but... <laughs> As Trump, the way, no, Trump, I mean, not Biden. the backyard, as Trump said, but not the front yard, as Biden just said. said. Amazing. Which right? it revealed, which both reveal the contempt of US policy 
<laughs> for generations about their neighbors. They don't treat us as neighbors. They treat us as properties or as a will-be property or, like Cuba, as a lost property that has to be <laughs> recovered. But they don't respect uh, the peoples of Latin America. And, and this is from Rio Bravo to La Patagonia. The, 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 the peoples knows better now. And after they experiment the benefit of either socialist-oriented governments or progressive government or decent government of coalitions uh, uh, that, that put the peoples on, on the right place and that retake control of natural resources and that are not responding as it used to be the law of the land in Latin America to the U.S. transnationals or the uh, international financial powers that dictate policies for the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, well, when those governments were taken out of power, some of them with very dirty, low fare process. You remember what happened in Brazil with Dilma, the judicial fake trial with Lula, and, and all those, those, um, those things that we have seen. Probably, if it wasn't because of the low fare in Brazil, we would have today the three more important countries and biggest economies of Latin America on the left. You'll have Mexico, Argentina, and Brazil. If it wasn't for America. exactly, yeah. and 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 the, the truth is that even when temporarily some of those governments were taken out of uh, power because of U.S. policy and because of U.S. disinformation campaign, because the same thing they are doing to Cuba with monies allotted in order for NGOs that are not NGOs for cover operation, all those things that fortunately and I wanted to give credit to your programs because you're always dismantled and dig deeper into the regime change operation, either in, in all of their modalities, because they have like a little book, and, and at the International Republican Institute or International Democratic Institute in Washington are sort of those uh, bipartisan, because on that you cannot separate politics from Democrats or Democrats. They have, uh, we are talking here of the elites of power, uh, of United States and the war, they will coincide in the repudiation and the rejection of any country that will put their people first, that will take control of their natural resources, that will want their economy to grow, and that the benefits won't go to the oligarchies that are the parasites of our region and their owners in in, in United States. So yes, we do recognize that trend, and we are very happy. And I'm sure that Hugo Chavez, wherever he is, Fidel Castro, and wherever he is, but we know that they are somewhere together, will be smiling that Latin American people would never be back to the manifest destiny, not to the Mon Monroe Doctrine, no to those uh, policies of uh, colonial policies. Because they already knew also what was, to, what was the neoliberal policy. At every place is when the good guys, according to the um, Mauricio Claver Caron, 
Latin American advisor for Trump or, uh, or an international monetary fund. He was the one, by the, way, who, by the way, who put Argentina on that stupid or incredible, sorry, that, that incredible loan that, that, that wreaked havoc in their economy. That was courtesy of them before leaving the IMF. And he was also the architect of the Trump-Cuba policy. So those people, I, I call them like the headquarter of, of, the, of, the, of the work against the, the rise of our people in Latin America. So speaking of these changes across uh, Latin America, I just want to kind of go out to the, you know, broaden it out to the global perspective here. And I know Cuba just joined the Belt and Road Initiative, China's Belt and Road Initiative. So with the Belt and Road Initiative and the sort of like rise of China and this multipolar world, what do you think is the potential for that initiative in Latin America? And moreover, what do you think is the significance of this kind of growing group of countries across the world, China, Russia, Cuba, Venezuela, Iran, Syria, um, that are becoming you know, partners and maybe more assertive against American aggression. Just recently I read that China has the biggest growth, it's marking the recovery of the economy uh, the, um, at, the, at the beginning of 2022. When Cuba joined uh, the initiative, it was in December, late December, I think December 24, is, is a very important step for Cuba since it is the enforcement of a memorandum of understanding between a president of Cuba and president of China. They signed it in 2018, and now uh, when we joined the initiative, is the implementation plan of that memorandum, and it has a very broad um, number of areas where Cuba will get important benefit and that are, will help our economic plans uh, for the near uh, future. It has a specific target actions on biotechnology, on um, trade, on foreign investment, on health. So it is, it is very broad and diverse. We are very into, it is also will allow Cubans also to put some of our exports uh, in China. And, and, and we are, it, it, China is of course an strategic partner of Cuba. And, and we are very enthusiastic about uh, how promissory could be uh, that. And it also, of course, will help us to overcome some of the difficulties that our country has precisely because of the not so romantic policy uh, that U.S. is having in Cuba. So it also helps us to overcome the, the embargo, the American blockade. And I think that for the rest of Latin America, China is also growing uh, is economic uh, present and it has good relation with almost all countries of our region. Uh, in fact, with a much robust uh, economic relation in some countries that the one that, uh, that it has with Cuba since our bigger economies and with good results or mutually rewarding results uh, for both sides as it should be. Uh, because relationships are supposed to be good for both sides, not sometimes the one that in Latin America we have experimented in their relationships or unfair agreements uh, with the United States, which is not our case since we... <laughs> which is, uh, our, yeah. our big agreement is the blockade still. Even <laughs> with Obama, the blockade didn't go away. More, I mean, more than the speech, although we recognize that he asked Congress to leave the, the, the embargo. So I think something that's interesting about Cuba's foreign policy is it's been so consistent over the last 60 years since the revolution. It's just 
anytime there's a country anywhere in the world, regardless of its form of governance or economic system, that's facing um, imperialist aggression, Cuba is always against imperialism, no matter what. It's always shown a level of solidarity, whether it's you know, sending fighters to Angola you know, to fight against apartheid, or whether it's you know, supporting the Syrians in the Golan Heights, or today, you know, there's the medical brigades, where Cuba sends these medical brigades to go serve in underserved areas around the world, and then also the Henry Reeve Brigade, where they go to disaster zones. So, I'm curious, you know, what is the connection between the international medical missions that Cuba does, giving vaccines to poorer countries? I know Cuba just gave a, a big shipment of vaccines to Syria, which desperately needs it. And Cuba's foreign policy. What is the connection between these things? Well, Cuba practice internationalism. It is a principle of, of our revolution from the very beginning. And we also are anti-imperialistic because imperialism has been a threat uh, to our nation existence even before the Cuban Revolution triumph in 1959. Since, uh, since the 19th century, Jose Marti, when he died, fighting against Spain, the last word that he wrote was that his mission will be after living more than 15 years in US exile uh, because of his work uh, he, uh, um, again, against colonial uh, Spain at the time, he said that from now on, we have to get together in Latin America to prevent the giant, and he said he calls to US like the giant, to, 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 to take away Latin America. So he was, uh, he was warning uh, Cubans that the big threat will be U.S. Imperialist, imperialism. He didn't call it imperialism at the time, but after the Spanish-American War, the U.S. was after Philippines at the same time, Cuba and Puerto Rico, and, and we were probably the only ones to get away uh, after, because we fought 30 years for our independence, so the Cuban patriots were totally against U.S. occupation of four years, as you know, in Cuba. U.S. imperialism has been a threat to the integrity of our nation, to our independence, back in the 19th century and now in the 20th and 21 centuries, because uh, U.S. was against uh, the Cuban independence war, until they intervene and take away our victory, occupy Cuba, but we kicked them away since we fought 30 years. Then it was against the Cuban Revolution in 1959 that it was a revolution precisely. Some people will say, you Cubans, you like fights. <laughs> since in, in less than half a century, you go back and fight. Well, we fought to finish the work of our independent patriots. Imagine that in US, for example, after you kick out the British, somebody from Britain will come and write your brand new constitution. That's what happened to Cuba. Platt, a senator from Connecticut, will write an amendment to our constitution saying that Americans will have a right to show up and intervene in Cuba every time they consider that the interests were at stake. After four years of occupation, after they bought 70% of our best land, after they own the electricity company, the communication companies, so they get the best resources of the country and they remain in the neo-colonial status. So in 1959, Fidel and his comrade had to go and fight against a dictatorship of Batista, a protege also, by the way, of US. Uh, um, and he did kill people, more than 
3,000 Cubans die out of repression in Cuba. That never happened with the Cuban Revolution. And from day one, the Cuban Revolution was condemned to death because it will end the practice of Americans to do in Cuba what they couldn't do at home. So they will be handling the gambling, the prostitution, the exploitation, the literacy. The, uh, so it's uh, the whole idea that they are trying now to build about nostalgic Cuba before the 50 takes away from the picture how their most, uh, the, 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 the major part of the Cuban population live. And it also takes out of the equation the threat that has always been to have unoccupied territory since the beginning of the 10th, 20th century, after they left Cuba, of having a military base in one of the best bay, base of our country, which is Guantanamo Bay. They, by the way, they keep talking about torturing in Cuba and to be strictly Honest, the one place in Cuba when torture has been practiced is in Guantanamo Bay facility owned by US government. Illegally territory occupied against the will of the Cuban people and that we cannot recover because the agreement it's, is a fake agreement. It says that it almost says that it's forever because it said that for the agreement to finish, both sides have to agree to cancel uh, that. So agree. you are talking of more, we are talking of more than 100 square kilometer. We are talking of the whole entrance, the two entrance of one of the best uh, um, harbor, uh, Bay Harbor in, in, in Cuba. And had, that has an impact in the economic development also of that part uh, of Cuba. So it's, yes, we are anti-imperialistic. And at the same time, we, are inter we practice internationalism because the Cuban revolution received support from abroad. People were extremely solidarious. Remember Mexico, when the Cubans, after they fell in attacking the Moncada Garrison, went there and they reordered and get together, and they met Che Guevara, who joined them to come to Cuba, and, and many other countries uh, were uh, solidarious with Cuba. So yes, we believe in a better world, and for that, we cannot be selfish, and we are not. So we always practice internationalism with Africa. We help to fight against colonialism. We went back and died together with South Africa and Angolans fighting apartheid. Uh, so we pay back to our ancestors. We have a tremendous connection with who we are. We owe Africa uh, probably some of the best things that we Cubans have. So how do Cubans, speaking of Africa, view the anti-colonial project in Africa? And obviously you just kind of explained historically how you view it, but now today. the continent today is poised to become this, you know, another major center of global politics. You see the U.S. investing more resources and sending its military to Africa and militarizing Africa through AFRICOM. So I guess what is the Cuban view of, of Africa's importance today? Contrary to superpowers of metropolis or colonial metropolis, Cuba has a presence in Africa that has been sustained for many years, but probably we are the only one that went there not looking for diamonds or to take away, really, or to take away resources. In fact, we left our blood there. So our relation with Africa is a relation that is branded by respect to their self-determination. Uh, and, and we 
Today, we have more than 30 embassies, or around 30 embassies in Africa, and we have a very good relationship that is also um, strengthened by agreements of cooperation on different fields. So there are Cubans engineers working building bridges. Uh, there are people working in faculties of medicines, professors. There are doctors also working in villages where there is not access still Africa, even when it's some countries are booming with new economic uh, growth, still is a continent that humanity has to pay uh, more attention, more resources. Uh, right now, when you look at the index of vaccination of Africa, it's, it's really... It's, it's really low, and, and, and it should be a source of concern uh, for many uh, for many countries. For, for many countries, um, so um, we we keep building the relations, uh, starting from what the African countries uh, need from Cuba, and of course of our limited uh, capacity. But there are south 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 cooperation protocols. Uh, that have been implemented when we can compensate each other. So probably we don't have the resources, but we have the, the human capital. So in projects, we put the human capital, and in Africa, uh, we put the resources. Sometimes we go in triangle operations. I remember when I was ambassador in Portugal, a beautiful program that was created that was to reduce um, maternity mortality in, I think, uh, yes, I, I'm sure it was in Guinea-Bissau. And the program was Cubans will send uh, gynecologists and family doctors in order to uh, have a, uh, develop a campaign, uh, edu edu education campaign, and also a primary care uh, attention, um, a foundation and part of a foundation in Portugal and part of a, uh, governmental funds were also as, uh, as, uh, assigned. Uh, appropriated for that, and of course, Guinea also put the, the, the human labor force in order to complete the, the work, and after two years, it did reduce uh, infant mortality and maternal mortality. So those are things that many countries should be doing, but unfortunately, there are countries that are on the business of reducing medical attention for political purpose. That's why when I say, before that when U.S. Is, do, is telling that the Cuban medical programs are human trafficking, they are not just uh, harming Cuba. I mean, they are committing a crime by excluding important population. For example, this is a contribution by government of Biden. I told you at the beginning that they continue the policy of Trump, but they also have initiatives that have been strengthening that policy. Uh, uh, in order to make it perfect. So we already were in the human trafficking list, but you know what they did this year? Blinken and announced it. At every single chapter of human trafficking report, when there is a country that has a medical brigade, they add a warning wow. saying you better look at that program so they really go after the cooperation programs. Wow. This is the democratic government of Biden. This is not Trump. So they really add on that. The same that they put Cuba in the in the list of countries that do not cooperate well, so is, against their to, to, to try to get countries to not accept. Exactly. Cuba's so this is an extortion. Wow. Because still the doctors remain, even after Trump threats, uh, the governments know better. I mean, the, and, and the was countries the, just, do. Just out of curiosity, that was in May. The human trafficking element 
the, not the May one, but the one before, that was, not, that was added by Trump or that existed before Trump? Yes, that existed before Trump. Okay. But, but in fact, during the Obama government, we have five rounds of talks to US bilateral. I had, I visited Washington in 2018 at the beginning when Trump didn't change yet the, the policy. So they were reviewing in order to really dismantle everything. But at that time in February, we went to the fifth uh, round of talk on human trafficking. And Cuba was downgraded in that traffic report to a best level since we showed them in five years of bilateral talks the work that Cuba were doing. And also we knew what US were doing. And it was pretty clear that Cuba was not a country of origin or source or, uh, or, or of, of human trafficking. So I just want to clarify for those who are watching, when we talk about human trafficking. So Trump yeah. is strengthening and Biden too. So the US, these, these international medical brigades that Cuba sends around the world, the US in order to take revenue away from Cuba, because in some cases Cuba gains revenue this way, uh, said that the doctors are all slaves and they're being trafficked by the Cuban government and forced to work in all these remote places. Across which is the not true, which, which is, is not true. So just to move to a different part of the world, the Middle East, Cuba and Iran have a growing partnership. And so I'm curious, what's driving that relationship? Well, it, we, it, first of all, we have a friendly uh, relation. We have a good relation and that's been going for, for, for many years. Um, it goes back to the Iranian Revolution. It goes back to the, our our work with the non-aligned movement. It, it will work with the policy that Cuba stands on the Middle East, which is in favor of Palestine to recover their territory, that the United Nations uh, resolution should be enforced, that the problems in the Middle East should be solved by negotiation uh, peacefully and, and not to please any lobby in US or any uh, economic interest that always has been behind the, uh, the, 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 the wrong policies that, that has been enforced by U.S. and its allies. Mm -hmm. It's not just uh, U.S. So we are completely in solidarity with Iran condemning the pullout of U.S. from the nuclear U.S.-Iran um, um, deal. It's it, 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 opposite to what it has been portrayed. It was a good deal, and 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 the the the, the decisions by Trump uh, to dismantle that it's 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 not helpful. It's not good for Iran. It's not good. It's another excuse to reimpose sanctions. Iran has been also uh, like like Cuba under a very unfair uh, system of unilateral sanction, harming their population. So uh, right now we have been working together, we, we work together in the vaccines, as you probably know. Uh, we have trade, we have, um, we have a very good relation, and it's a, it's a broad uh, good relation, it's a friendly relation. So speaking of America's allies, uh, one of them, Israel, every single year uh, at the UN General Assembly, they vote, should they continue or end the blockade of Cuba? And every year, every country in the world votes and the blockade, except for the US and Israel. and Israel. So the reason I bring this up is I'm curious, when we look at the, the global community, what are, who are America's closest allies in trying to sabotage and undermine Cuba? And not just countries here, I mean, even movements. 
Well, in fact, I think those are like transnational right-wing uh, groups. It's not even countries. It's, uh, we are talking of national oligarchies, of fascist parties, of right-wing uh, parties in Europe, for example, at the European Parliament, that you know that they've been escalating the extreme right-wing parties. They also stand in positions uh, very vocal against Cuba. But as it happened in the US, it's more domestic politics than foreign politics. So at some point, they goes after Cuba because what they really wanted to go is after any link that they could do against Cuba that will harm uh, progressive forces in Europe or, or in other places. So in Latin America, it's the same. Uh, the most extreme right-wing parties, when they, they, they have a tradition of, uh, of, uh, of being uh, subjugating or, or of being instruments, to speak openly, of U.S. foreign policy as the OAS. I forgot to mention uh, later on when you asked me about OAS. We see OAS as an instrument of U.S. foreign policy. Sometimes it's not even the, member, the country members, but Almagro, who happened to, to head the OAS, behave as he was a secret a minister of colonies for U.S. is, is ridiculous. It's, uh, it's, it's difficult to swallow, but that's the way uh, it works. And, and he will go and cry immediately at every moment that a U.S. interest is on a stake and will take a position precisely against the interest that he should be protecting, that is the interest of the member states. Yeah, and it's amazing how Cuba also ends up playing this role in the domestic politics of every Latin American country where every right-wing leader will invoke Cuba, the Cubans are, yeah, the Cubans are supporting this, the Cubans and Venezuelans are doing that. Or the doctors are like, like, like Bolsonaro. One part of the Bolsonaro electoral campaign was a huge disinformation campaign about the Cuban uh, doctors. And, and that was also fi well financed from Washington. You know that he had a, um, um, a close connection also with what, what I keep calling the headquarters of the international counter-revolution. <laughs> because some of them are, are famous people that have been working. Some of them came like Roger Noriega since the time of Jesse Helms, that nobody remembers him, but we unfortunately do. Uh, so, uh, and, and, and it has to do much more about class and political class and economic interests that about countries. Because sometimes uh, countries could switch their leadership uh, and, and the position uh, with Cuba. Saying that, I have to tell you that Cuba has a very wide international relation, good connections. And, and we do not restrict our diplomatic relation and our friendship to governments that have a left or orientation. This is has. Uh, no, you'd be. You wouldn't have very many friends then. We <laughs> we are good citizens of, of yeah. the world. We have a policy of friendly, and as far as people uh, agree with us in mutually res uh, respect each other, we always will find common ground to build up good relations. And that's why uh, Cuba has good relation even with countries that not necessarily are socialists. And, and in fact, we have relation with almost 200 uh, countries on earth. So the thing about the United Nations vote, it is important to say that for 30 years, the world has been consistently voting 
in favor of the Cuban revolution, that uh, resolution in United Nations General Assembly that asked US to lift the embargo because it's illegal, because it violates international law, because it's immoral, and it also because it's extraterritorial. Some people would say, this is a bilateral issue. Why Cuba will take it to United Nations? It is not. It happens. Helms Burton Bill and Tory Sherry Bill happens to have chapter that will do things such as, I will mention three examples. Any vessel touching, we are close to the Malecon now, to the Cuban famous waterfront. Any vessel touching Cuban port will be punished. Six months not to touch US port. Imagine a country in the Western Hemisphere. Any vessel that will bring cargo to Cuba have to sink twice before coming here because they know that they cannot visit the most important ports of our hemisphere, take cargo, and go back to England or, or Netherlands or Spain. So that tripled the cost of our international uh, op uh, uh, trade operation. Another example, any, any product that contains 1% of Cuban product cannot be sold to US. Cuba has one of the most important international reserves of nickel, nickel in English? Yeah, nickel, the metal, yes. Yeah. The metal, nickel. One of the most important on earth, we don't have, uh, we have oil, but not as uh, Mexico or Venezuela or, 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 or the, the Arab countries, not. But, but we have um, like 30% of our production of oil is also domestic, something that many people do not know. I didn't know this, yeah. <laughs> we have a, 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 an oil industry of 30,000 people working on it. But anyway. Uh, in the case of nickel, it's one of the most in be be between the five-fifths of the world. Okay, Japan, if they buy nickel from Cuba to prepare their electric gadgets or component, cannot export it to U.S. Wow. Nobody knows that. Cuba cannot import anything from any country that has more than 10% of American component. Nobody knows that. So now you come to Cuba and you say, well, Cuba has problem with the airplane. Yes, of course, we have problem with the airplanes. We have, to, we have difficulty to, to rent, uh, uh, so we, and, and, and that's why there are so many foreign airlines that land in Cuba, because our Cubana Aviación airlines have been affected with a small uh, number of airplanes, because the airplanes that have to fly for Cubana cannot have more than 10% of American component. Hello? <laughs> Airplane industry is right there in Seattle, right? and other places, so and it's in a, in a such integrated international, there's so many unfairness. There is so huge unfairness, abuse, and bullying, and, and it happened that the countries know, and that explained that even after all the international pressure to break the needs of the country, not to vote against US every year, even this small island of the Caribbean will get together and will vote because they know what such an aberration the blockade it is for the Cuban population and for international uh, law. Israel happened to vote with the US and I still I don't know why. It probably has to do with the huge budgets uh, that US give to Israel's what they call defense that we know that is not to defend uh, Israel's but it happens to be a, a very offensive uh, um, I mean, weapons and, and deployments and, and abuse in, 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 in Palestine, uh, to which we again reiterate our um, 
permanent uh, solidarity. But it happened Israelian citizen invest in Cuba, so it's... You know, I, I wanted to ask also the US, Cuba is obviously under the most extreme blockade, but Venezuela is being crushed by the US as well. And I'm curious how US sanctions against Venezuela or if US sanctions against Venezuela have had any impact on Cuba's economy. Of course. It has to because with Venezuela, we, have, uh, we are like sister nations. I mean, with tremendous respect for the sovereignty, all that, uh, all, all, all that narrative about Cuba and controlling Venezuela and, and Cuban troops in Venezuela, all those, Bol John Bolton, you have to remember him. Uh, hard to lies are hard to forget uh, because I remember even uh, there was agencies of U.S. that have to say, hey, this is not true at some point because it was such a huge uh, lies. But, but what it is true is that we do have a, a tremendous economic relation with Venezuela. Uh, we have, uh, we provide service, uh, we import, we have agreements in different fields. So it, 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 Cuba has suffered also because uh, some of those agreements has been damaged. Uh, if, if, for example, we provide doctors to Venezuela, and that we do, and, and for that there should be some revenues to Cuba, or there should be some products that we exported, which should have uh, delays or shortages, or uh, fuel, for example, that is also part of our imports from Venezuela. All, every single chip that was bringing oil as part of our legitimate right to buy oil in Venezuela that will go to Cuba, went directly to a list the US uh, put together in order to punish the assurance companies, the, the, na the, the navieras, the, the, shipping, the shipping companies, and even sometimes the banks. They, as they have a 251 or 270 companies of Cuba that they also labels as entities that are prohibited for the, entire, for, for the United States companies and also sometimes for certain companies to trade with, happen to be public entities in Cuba that will bring revenues that are the ones to pay for the universal healthcare, for our higher education and public education that goes from kindergarten, from kindergarten to a doctor's degree in, who, in Cuba happen to be free. Even treatment in foreign countries when there is a disease that you cannot solve in Cuba is paid by the public health system uh, in Cuba. But they went after that. So yes, it, uh, Cuba has suffered also. And, but the most important thing is that Venezuela suffered a lot. Mm -hmm. So they also wanted to portray uh, Venezuela's successful uh, socialist approach that for the very first time in history give access to higher education to people that were completely out of history in that country, that for the first time in history give access to healthcare in order to artificially dismantle and, 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 and attack that, they, they need to go after uh, revenues of Venezuela and the best uh, the poster child of that experience probably is the, the, the way U.S. behave um, with the Venezuela's assets abroad. That, that, that was an openly assault, like if it was in the middle of a Western film. <laughs> it's like looting. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah, that's looting. Like, yeah. That's looting. That is, uh, that is like, with Cuba, they behave as pirates too, because if you go after a ship, 
I remember one day and a spokesperson of the White House, and, and I couldn't believe myself. I was like, no, no, no. If I, if I knew when I joined the Foreign Service that this, I will have to see that in the 21st century. I will go and become a painter or a beauty, <laughs> beauty parlor because it was difficult for me in the 21st century looking and a spokesperson in the White House putting a map marking chips that will bring fuel to a sovereign nation? And if we were really a playground for, for US, to, to, and it's a torturing a country, because if you go after the fuel of a country, you are going after what we Cuban women use to prepare food for our children. We are going to the electricity that we use in, 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 in incubators, in hospitals. You are going to the population. So it's not true when they say that they care about human rights in Cuba. It's not true when they say that their policies is to help the Cuban people. They've been torturing. They've been torturing our, our population, both Trump and Biden as well. Speaking of all of the things that we've talked about, one thing we forgot to mention is Havana syndrome. So for the last several years, you've had these accusations against first in the, Cuban, or the US embassy in Cuba that people are having headaches or some weird symptoms. And the US claimed this is like some sort of special microwave weapon that Cuba under blockade was able to develop to give everybody headaches. And then it started going, oh, their US embassy staff is experiencing it in this country, in this country. Well. We recently found out from the CIA itself that the CIA doesn't believe this was part of a foreign conspiracy. So I'm curious what your response to this recent revelation by the CIA about Havana syndrome is. The reason why the CIA now published something that they knew all the way around, I don't know. <laughs> I suppose that probably it became so uncomfortable that so many people now are saying that they have the Havana syndrome because at some point they probably have to compensate their workers for something that they never suffer or that most of them <laughs> never suffer. Uh, so let's go back to the to make a short history of when a headache stopped to be in a headache and became Havana syndrome. A, a Havana syndrome or, a, a, or a mysterious attacks. And I've been following this story from 2017 when, when it started. And in fact, let's remember when it started. And it started right when, when Trump won elections in 2016. That's when they say that the, the first case occurs. What a coincidence. At that moment, US and Cuba have 22 agreements to work on every single field from migratory birds, environment, Everglades, Florida swamps, Cuban swamps, stream, uh, maritime streams, um, eight groups working on law enforcement to, from, for narcotic interdiction, uh, migratory issues in order to cut, and we did cut, irregular migration um, in order to promote safe, orderly immigration. Uh, Cubans, uh, uh, more than one million people from US were visiting Cuba every year. Remember that, 600,000 Cuban Americans visiting their country of origin, plus, Almost um, 500,000 Americans come in every year to visit and discover, hey, that we were not the enemy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Something that was always true because never, ever Cuba 
has taken any measure in reciprocity to the abnormal and to immense monuments of sanctions that it is the Cuban blockade. So they were coming and they were discovered that we are not a perfect country, uh, but that we were not the enemy, the Americans are welcome. That was a problem for the people that put Trump in the White House. So those lobbies that if I have to portray it, and I will say, which is the traditional Cuban-American lobby, which we are talking of gangsters. So we are talking of the inheritance of Batista dictatorship. The connection between the Diaz-Valar and Batistas are well known. Rafael, the father of Mario and, and, and Lincoln Diaz-Valar, was the minister of Batista himself, left the country with D. So we are talking of the tyrannies, sons and daughters. Those are the ones pushing U.S. to act even against the best national interest of the United States self because, because it's important to win Florida mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in order to understand what drives that behavior. So at that moment, how can you stop two countries that are knowing each other better, Americans coming in cruise ship in Havana, eight, sometimes two and three and four per day going into, and people liking Havana became the favorite destination of cruise ship international. Wow. How can you stop that? If you already make it, if you went to Miami and you already promised that you're gonna wreak havoc in Cuba, that you're gonna kill the revolution, that you're gonna stop when Obama and Raul Castro did. Well, and suddenly, hey, out of the blue, a headache, a stop to be a headache to become an attack. So this was a fabrication from day one. And there is a difference between when we say that is a fabrication, that is a lie that Cuba attack US or that we allow a foreign powers or Russia, whatever they say, to attack their diplomats in Cuba and that people get sick. So we never said that there could not be a real uh, illness, but what, by the Cuban team of experts, and there is a very serious uh, Cuban group of experts, from police experts to doctors to scientific neuro, um, neuroscience experts, physics and entomologists, because at some point remember that the sound happened to be crickets mm -hmm. around the house of, uh, of diplomats in Havana. Uh, they get together and they found the, the, the following conclusion. Number one, that it could be true that some people get sick and had headaches or some or fever or get dizzy. That could happen out of a stress, out of out of a tropical disease, or, or out of pre-existing conditions. Because if you happen to have a problem in your ear and you are a diver, like it happened here. So a person that was a professional diver, sometimes they had a problem with the ear, it's not that Cuba put a gun on it. It, it, it is that if because you die, you could have a problem with, you dive on a regular basis, you could have a problem with your audition. So the, what Cuban said was that the variety, that, that a variety of, of, of symptoms so diverse and heterogeneous cannot be attributed to a one single cause. Mm -hmm. And they propose, and this is still the Cuban position, that if they really want to solve the problem, let's get together. Let's get together teams in US and teams in Cuba. Let's take a look at cases. Let's, take a look, let's review together what happened, and we're going to get to the bottom of that. But US never want to get to the bottom of that. Mm -hmm. Because this was not true. There was never attacks. The FBI came to Cuba six times, and their report that we happen to have 
says exactly the same, that there was no acoustic, not sonic, nor infrasonic attack, and they closed their investigation. And they recommend that the CDC do their investigation. After that, CDC made a report, NASA, National Academies of Science made a report, United States government has put together, I don't know how many commissions to study. The common denominator is that they don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. Probably they don't know what happened, but what they don't, what they do know is what didn't happen. And what didn't happen is that American diplomats get attacked in the place in the world when they are more safe. Uh, go around US embassy in Cuba. You probably will see that it's unique in the world. It doesn't have high fences. It doesn't look like a bunker like in so many places. Even during the WikiLeaks episodes, I remember that they were published some of the cables and telegrams from the US head of the intersection were published with a bunch of information that came to the net. And I remember reading one of the, the, the chess mark review of the safety of the embassy in comparison with other, where the head of the intersection in Cuba said, no, we don't need more protection. We are safe here. No, in Cuba, there is no transnational crime. No, in Cuba, there is no anti-American fleeing. They don't burn black flags, and they don't attack us. No, no, they just, there's no need to, to take away the view of the Malecon, because here we're fine. And that was recently. <laughs> so now they say that, but, but you know what? the damage is done. Mm -hmm. Because with the excuse of the attack, United States takes decisions that were leonines, that were very, very, very radical, and that harmed the entire Cuban population. I just mentioned two or three. First, they, they, they kick out of Washington Cuban diplomats. Not all of them, but they reduce and dismantle the capacity of both embassies. In Havana, they withdraw personnel for no reason. There are plenty of, of reports of the American press saying that many of them anonymously recognized that they were, they were fine, they were okay. Some of them even complained, wrote a letter to the, to the trade union at the State Department saying we were fine in Havana, we don't want to leave. Second, they made a deceitful travel alert putting Cuba in the level four, telling Americans don't go to Cuba. They prohibited individual students' trips to Cuba so that they would go to safest place, such as, I will mention country, but the countries that they replaced, the, the program for students in Cuba to learn Spanish in a country that they go out at 2 a.m. in the morning, and the one thing that could happen if you fell in the street, somebody will take you home without taking away your property. Mm -hmm. And the third one was to dismantle all the di official dialogues with Cuba. They prohibit their officials to visit Cuba. One reason, they are not safe. So it was a very convenient excuse to start like a roller coaster of, uh, of, of measures, a coercive measure that ended up being 243. Yeah. But the initial thing was Havana Syndrome. Havana Syndrome. So I guess, you know, a good place to end on, maybe a more, um, this can be a bit of a more positive note, is, I mean, can you, we don't get to hear in the U.S. from Cuban officials, from Cubans in Cuba, unless they have the pro-U.S. sort of side of things, right? Unless they have the Miami viewpoint. So I want to give you an opportunity to tell those who are watching what it is that Cubans feel so strongly about protecting from the sort of U.S. attempt to impose a different system on Cuba. What is it about Cuba's revolution that is so important that, that everyone here, despite the blockade, is willing to continue with this system? 
We are, we are working not just to defend what we have, which is a lot. Cuba has achievements uh, in several fields that are still our dreams for important uh, part of humanity in science, in education, in healthcare. For the very first time, Cubans feel empowered uh, in their history and that they, are, they, they retake control of their natural resources. They could plan uh, for, a, for a better future with social justice, not just for a few, but for all. For us, that's very attractive. The idea that together, working together as individuals and also as a group of people who cares for each other and, and can do big things for everyone is extremely attractive for the majority of the Cuban people. And we reach wonderful things uh, already. When you, always, you always talk about, but there are so many good musicians of Cuba that, that, that live out of Cuba. And I say, no, no, no. The question should be why Cuba has so many wonderful musicians? Why Cuba has so many, why Cuba is in the first Olympics uh, always? In the Cuba under aggression and blockade and embargo, always I say, well, because in Cuba, if you happen to 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 come to life in Cuba, if you your verse in Cuba is uh, you immediately comes to comes with rights that still most of humanity doesn't have. You have a right to be treated respectfully. You have a right to live. You probably are more protected than many, many children that will, uh, will be birthed in, even in some places of the United States, it is true. And, and we don't want to impose anybody our model, but we really want others to respect our right to together uh, improve our country, improve our economy, engage with the world, uh, make our, our, as we are doing in the last years, Cuba has been also, uh, in, in regardless US policy, uh, has been making important changes in our constitution. In, we are gonna change now our family code. Uh, we've made changes in our law to have a country that is more modern, but at the same time, they respect what has been achieved. So we are not just protecting what we have, because now you probably go to a supermarket in Cuba and you say, hey, these people do not have the 10 brands of cereals that I can get in Brooklyn or in Manhattan. But, but when we go to sleep, we know that we live in a country that even during the pandemic, no one lose their house. The, the little resources that we have, we put them in expenditure to protect everyone and not a few. We didn't go to assist banks, but the population. We protect our workers private workers as well. We, 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 we went and protect every single Cuban from COVID with We were able to produce first wall effective, highly successful vaccines. So we are proud of what we have. But at the same time, people have to understand that in Cuba, we are not just fighting for what we have, but we are fighting for the rights to build, to build an alternative model of the failed neoliberal models that has been imposed in our neighborhood and so many places of the world. So, and I think that deserve uh, at least the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> Let them continue and definitely do not deserve to be punished for trying to make a better country, for trying to make uh, a world a better place. Johanna Tablada, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you for coming to Cuba.